Welcome to Mysteries, Myths, and More. I'm your narrator, Joyce Keller Walsh. My intention is to use this podcast to tell a story each month, sometimes fiction, sometimes not, that I hope you'll find interesting, engaging, and provocative. Episode 2, Penelope's Tapestry. The previous episode in this series was a true story. This story, however, is fiction and not in any way autobiographical. Most likely you've read or heard of Homer's epic poem, The Odyssey, which chronicles the adventures and misadventures of King Odysseus on his 20-year-long journey home from the Trojan Wars. By contrast, Homer portrays Odysseus's wife, Penelope, as the quintessential patient wife and mother who remains behind, ever faithful to her missing husband. During Odysseus's long absence, Penelope fends off a crowd of suitors who believe the king to be dead and hope to inherit his throne by marrying the queen. She keeps them at bay by vowing that she won't marry until she's finished weaving a funeral shroud for her father-in-law. But, unbeknownst to them, Penelope unravels her day's work each evening, keeping the men waiting for all those years until Odysseus returns. Penelope is not only devoted, but, as I will show, she's more than clever. Here's my reinterpretation of Homer's myth from Penelope's point of view. The story in an earlier version was published several years ago in a book called Loose Ends. From her sitting room in the palace on the hill in Kefalonia, she looked out eagerly over the olive groves, over the verdant cypress and the profusion of fragrant wild orchids below, letting her gaze sweep out along the strip of white sandy beach, across the blue and gold water of the Ionian Sea, and into the horizon. The ocean breezes softly stirred her long, copper hair over her swarthy cheeks. As she pushed an errant strand away from her almond eyes, she suddenly stiffened. What is that, that brownish spot, moving along the surface of the water? A ship? For a brief moment, her heart leaped. Was it her husband returning? Finally returning? Then as she stared, her shoulders slumped and she took a deep, disappointed breath. She should have known better. It was merely another of the loggerhead turtles swimming ashore to lay her eggs. She'd made that mistake all too often since Odysseus departed. Dispirited, she turned her attention once again back to the loom, but her infant son in the crib alongside her began to wail for his dinner. She lifted and cradled him in her arms, slid the tunic off her shoulder, and put Telemachus to her breast. She soothed him with a lullaby of ancient tales of the kings and queens of Greece. Thirty years later, and long home from his voyage, Odysseus slept the twilight sleep of a man spent and emptied of ambition as his wife continued her weaving in the adjacent room. Penelope now wore her gray-streaked hair in a braid around her head. Her fingers, still lithe at fifty, but showing the thinness of age, made the repetitive yet intricate patterns in her tapestry. Her young handmaiden, Leandra, sat next to her, where Telemachus once lay in his crib, stretching the skein of yarn between her parted hands. Both women wore diaphanous scarves against the cool evening breeze. Penelope's green scarf wrapped tightly around her thin shoulders, Leandra's white scarf deferentially over her head, not quite covering her coal-black hair. Odysseus, a hero? The queen of Ithaca did not look up, but rather shrugged indifferently at the question just posed by her maidservant. Some say so, I suppose. And handsome, too, they say, Leandra modestly averted her eyes. 
I see in his face even now the traces of a comely young man. Penelope puckered her mouth as she pretended to concentrate on her task. I did not have the benefit of his comely youth, or even my own, for that matter. It must have been very difficult, Leandra said, with seeming compassion, to be alone for so long with your husband gone. Penelope sighed. She had never spoken of it, but after so many decades of silence, her heart was unlocked by time and the younger woman's empathy. Her practiced reserve crumbled like the legendary walls of Troy. For all those years I hung on the vine, Penelope said in a voice just above a whisper, my entire bloom. Our son was only a suckling infant at my breast when Odysseus departed, and a full-grown man when he returned. I can hardly imagine it, Leandra shook her head. How did you survive? Penelope raised her eyes and looked out to the sea, remembering the hours and years she sat searching the horizon. Those first days my thoughts dwelt on where he might be at every moment. Is he safe? Is he in peril? Is it exciting? I thought of him every second and hoped he was thinking of me, too. But in fact I did not exist for him the moment he boarded his ship, or thereafter. You can't believe that, Leandra said. It's true. That last dawn just before sunrise, when he looked out at the wine-dark sea, his journey had already begun. Gone was the ardor of the night before. How long will you be away, I asked. But he did not answer and left me behind with the squaring of his stone shoulders and indefinite wave of his hand. And that was all I had of him to last me until his return. Yet you kept faith with him all that time. Penelope adjusted the pale scarf tightly around her shoulders. I expected him to come home when the battle was over, so I waited and waited. But when the other war-weary soldiers returned one by one, he was not among them. Year after year, I expected Odysseus to come home to me, but the years went on and my expectations changed. Penelope looked down and resumed her weaving. She had said too much. What was the point of talking about it? No one would understand, least of all this callow servant. You feared he was dead? Leander said in a way that was not really a question. I feared, Penelope tugged on the yarn, that if he were dead, I would have to marry again. They sat in silence for a moment, but the younger woman persisted. They say that more than a hundred suitors congregated in the great hall below us, clamoring for you to select a husband from among them. Penelope smiled shrewdly. Yes, well, it was not for my charm. Ionia was the prize, a kingdom for the bridegroom. It was a death watch celebration. Could you not have turned them away? Leandra tilted her head, her dark curls tumbling out of her scarf. There was no authority in the house of Odysseus, Penelope explained as though to a child, with only a mere woman and a minor boy. A kingdom must have its king. But if I remarried, Telemachus would be disinherited at best, and more likely be killed by my new husband when I bore him a successor. So I kept them at bay to preserve my son's life and his inheritance. A woman would have to be very clever, Leander said appreciatively, to do that. Penelope allowed herself a small nod of satisfaction. I suppose I was, by telling them I would choose a husband when I finished weaving a burial tapestry for Laertes, Odysseus's father. I tried desperately never to finish the shroud, and the dear old man tried desperately not to die. 
Penelope arose and walked to the opening into the balcony. The only one who knew what I was doing, besides my father-in-law, was my old nurse, but she was unsympathetic. As Penelope glanced away from Leandra, her memory took her back to the old nurse, always scolding her. She could still hear Bosch's rasping voice, and when she looked back in her mind's eye, Leandra had transformed into Basha, and her old nurse was suddenly standing in front of her. The suitors are waiting to see you once you've had your evening meal, Basha announced. Tell them again, Penelope replied, I will not come. I am still the wife of the hero, Odysseus. Humph, hero. Hero to leave his wife and baby child. Hero to cavort with men and, yes, women of dubious virtue. To do what? To rescue some other man's slut of a wife? The thought of the fair Helen of such legendary blonde beauty that moved armies stung Penelope. No, to conquer Troy, old nurse, as you well know. Basha curled her lip. And has he sent word these past years when he is returning? How shall he do that, by seagull? Penelope answered sharply. By passing ship, by runner, by the way men have reached their wives from raging battlefields throughout time. Penelope concentrated on her loom. He would if he could. You make excuses for him. I make no excuses for him. You would not understand. Oh, I understand, Basha cackled, better than you think. Penelope looked up at her nurse with shock. You think he loves adventure more than he loves me. And you don't? Penelope felt herself losing her temper and tried to control it. You do nothing but blame him even for being dead. I'm not blaming him. Me, then? You blame me? The old nurse cocked her head. Well, I don't see King Odysseus sitting here at the loom while you're off in search of excitement. Eat your dinner. Penelope flung her hand, hurling the tray of food onto the floor. And what of your son, my queen? Leandra's question hung expectantly in the air as Penelope watched Basha transform back into her handmaiden. It took a moment to dismiss what she had seen as merely a painful memory of her old nurse. Just a memory, nothing more. Still, it was disquieting. Your son left home also, did he not? Leandra prompted. Yes, him as well, Penelope replied, without betraying her emotions. As soon as he came of age, Telemachus departed this woeful house in search of his father. I prayed to Zeus to protect him. And in the ensuing weeks, I wondered... Is he safe? Is he in peril? Is it exciting? Leandra raised her dark eyebrows in surprise. You were envious. Penelope scowled. I was angry. Angry at being left behind? Angry at being a woman. A woman cannot read the stars or steer a ship. A woman does not lead men into battle. A woman does not venture into the unknown. Would I risk perishing in the undertow of a sinking ship or take an arrow in my breast and fight to keep my blood from pouring onto the ground or watch those around me lose their lives? The truth is, I could not have done what Odysseus did or even follow Telemachus on his quest. Yes, of course I envied them. No woman can do what men do. Only the goddess Athena has that ability. Perhaps you should have prayed to her. You think I didn't? In her haste to defend herself, Penelope did not recognize the liberty Leandra had taken. For years I prayed to the goddess for my husband's safe return. Then I prayed to her for the safe return of my son. Finally, Athena came to me in a dream. 
Penelope returned to sit silently at her loom, lost in thought. In Penelope's dream, Athena appeared to rise up beside her, clothed in battle tunic, dark curls spilling out from beneath her silver helmet. The goddess's strong features resembled those of Leandra's. Athena, Penelope cried out, goddess, you have come at last. I heard the wife of Odysseus calling me, but why did you not come when I prayed to learn of my husband's fate? The goddess shook her head. I have little to do with your husband. Odysseus has angered Poseidon. No one may anger a god with impunity. And to anger the sea god, when one is embarked upon the sea, she raised her hand in disbelief, is complete hubris. But tell me, I beg you, Penelope pleaded to the apparition, does he still live? Did he die in battle? He was in your favor, was he not? How little you mortals comprehend. I did not favor your Odysseus, so much as I opposed my sister Aphrodite, who favored Paris, the kidnapper of Helen. She and I have a score to settle, and may mortals and other gods beware. Upon hearing this in her dream, Penelope knelt at the feet of the silver-booted goddess. Please tell me of my husband and my son. What of them? Your husband and son share the same destiny. That is all I may tell you. Penelope clung to the hem of the silver-brocaded tunic. Did the gods thus toss us onto the board of events as though gaming dice against each other? The goddess looked down upon her as from Mount Olympus and snorted impatiently. We play with some more than others, love some more than others, break some, pity some, and devise your world for our own amusement. Think you that there is anything you do that is not guided by immortal hands. At that, the goddess vanished, and Penelope had awakened in utter despair. The memory of that dream haunted her still. She shook her head to dispel the thoughts planted in her mind but could not. Our lives are truly not our own, she said cheerlessly to Leandra. It is better to be a forgotten handmaiden like yourself, in whom the gods have no interest, than to be a king or queen whose sacrifices and prayers they unceasingly demand to appease their vanity. It is unwise to malign the gods, my queen, Leandra responded admonishingly. The gods, Penelope shrugged. The only thing that separates them from us is their power and immortality, for they have the same faults and frailties as we do. After a brief pause, Leandra said pointedly, but did not the goddess answer your prayers after all when she said Odysseus and Telemachus shared the same destiny? That was no answer, Penelope returned to her weaving. Gods and men keep their own counsel. And yet, despite how you felt, still you kept your suitors at bay all those years awaiting your husband's return. Yes, but they became more and more insistent, and thus I needed a new ploy to forestall them so I declared I would marry the man who could string Odysseus's mighty bow. It was, if I may say so, a worthy idea for an inferior mortal. Leandra allowed some blue yarn to unravel as Penelope continued weaving. Perhaps, the handmaiden said tentatively, Athena placed those ideas in your head as a gift. She, who is both goddess of domestic arts as well as goddess of warfare, could conjure both tapestries and weapons. 
Penelope lifted her chin defiantly. Shall I then concede all of my imagination and all of my actions to the gods? You should not challenge the immortals, Leandra whispered. Why not? Am I not already a pawn of my gender? Is there no free will? I don't accept that. No, it was I who brought Odysseus's bow to the suitors. Did you not worry that one of them might draw the bow? I was confident that no other man could do it. Unless a god helped him. Leandra cocked her head. Or a goddess. Penelope froze momentarily, her hands in midair. I had not considered it. She stared at her tapestry, then shook it off, but none did. And when Telemachus returned with his father, disguised as a beggar, Odysseus strung the bow and slew all the suitors. And thereupon thanked the gods, Leandra said reverentially. He took up his duties as husband, father, and king, and you were together again. Together, yes, Penelope countered, but not the same as before. There was nothing left of him for me. His vigor was spent. After he came home, he lived in the memories of his exploits, and I had nothing. You had what you prayed for. Penelope looked askance at her handmaiden. From whence did she come by such a strident tone? What insolence! You go beyond your station, servant. Leave me. I do not wish to see you again tonight. Leandra rose, and in so doing, discarded her scarf. Beneath was the engraved helmet of Athena. She then discarded her robe, under which appeared the battle tunic of the goddess. Do you know me now, Penelope? I, who was both your nurse and your handmaiden? Humbled and fearful, Penelope fell to her knees. To what end do you come to me, goddess Athena? The setting sun cast the goddess in a red-gold glow. We gods know you mortals well, but while you never shock us with your vices, you occasionally surprise us with your virtues. However, there are dissenters on Mount Olympus who doubt that any human is capable of self-sacrifice. Is it possible, they quarrel, that Penelope, despite her anger, her envy, and her desperation, behaved honorably, yea or nay? It is the source of a great wager among us. It was my purpose here to determine the truth of the matter, and thus the winner of the wager, whom I may not reveal. However, I may tell you that we have concluded, for your steadfastness in adversity, wife of Odysseus, the pantheon of immortals will grant you a reward. A reward, goddess? The reward you have just spoken of. Your wish not to be manipulated by the gods. Athuna swept her hand in front of her. And so it is done. You will never again be the object of our attention. You have earned our eternal neglect. I will see to it. Penelope did not allow herself to show her profound relief. Thank you, goddess Athena. I could not hope for more. Just so. And with that, the goddess disappeared. Penelope arose and looked around, but the goddess was gone, and only Leandra was present, still seated next to her loom, holding the yarn. Penelope shook her head in confusion. Had it been yet another illusion? Had she mistaken their conversation? But perhaps it was true. Perhaps Athena had contrived to appear to her, to give her the message of her reward. Penelope took her seat again, a reward for her reluctant steadfastness. How ironic. God bless my virtue, she murmured. I beg your pardon, my queen. Nothing. 
Penelope regarded her tapestry. I am nearly finished. And what is that design, Queen Penelope? One of your own making? Penelope felt a sense of release. Now she could divulge what she had guarded for so long. Yes, in a way. You see, child, over the years, Odysseus has regaled me with stories of his travels, of the Trojan War and the Wooden Horse, of Cyclops and Circe and the Sirens, and of the strangers he met and the peoples he saw. And I realized how his pride oft-times betrayed him and sent him farther out onto the sea or into danger. He is an unskilled narrator, much halting in speech and faltering in memory now. He tells the story without heightened emotion or moral purpose, and he repeats the same events for different occasions in different ways. But nonetheless, I have come to realize that I could live his adventures in his telling, and I see there is meaning in the retelling. So I have wrought this tapestry. Each panel contains a story. Day after day, month after month, year after year, I have woven here all his tales of war and adventure. I have somewhat improved upon the original. The tapestry has become so long that I have divided into two. This one, which is already completed, I call the Iliad. This one, with which I am nearly finished, is called the Odyssey. Penelope observed Leandra's surprise and continued with self-indulgent sarcasm. Of course it is unthinkable that one such as myself, a wifely woman, should write such an epic. So I shall bequeath my tapestries to my grandson, and he will pass them to his sons and grandsons, and down through the ages until one day it will finally be revealed that I, Queen Penelope of Cephalonia, and no one else am the author of these poems. Then no one can deny my achievement, not even the gods. Leandra smiled, and at that moment Penelope thought she heard a chorus of ungodly laughter. It was then that Penelope realized that the reward she had asked for was obscurity. The end. Thank you for listening. I hope you'll come back next month to hear a story in yet a different vein entitled Time is Short and the Water Rises, Episode 3. <laughs>